Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, everybody? Welcome in another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. Eastern Conference previews already in the book, so let's get to the Western Conference today. A, a conference which uh, is absolutely loaded from top to, I would say, bottom. Uh, but there are a lot of teams at the bottom that have some intriguing decisions in what they want to do in the stakes for Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. But we'll get to those and what they're going to do with their future prospects as we move forward throughout the episode. Before we get to the content of the episode, I want to remind everybody, uh, our NBA guide is out now. Uh, you want to hit up vcin.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's only for pro subscribers. But I really want to emphasize the work that uh, I have done, that we have done on the NBA guide. It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, over 80 pages of content as you get ready for the NBA regular season. It includes every single one of my best bets from a win total, division, NBA MVP, rookie award, all of those things from that standpoint in there, as well as articles from some of our other contributors, Josh Applebaum, Adam Burke, and Julian Nedlow over at DraftKings. I'm really proud of the work we do on that thing every single year. Uh, I think we strive and we do get better every single year with the NBA betting guide. It's already our fourth edition, so a big milestone for next year, but we'll worry about next year when we get to it. Uh, but cannot stress and emphasize enough that the NBA guide is out, and I would really love if a lot of people read that thing because we do a lot of great work in there, and I'm very proud of the work that we do. So, vcin.com slash subscribe. Remember, that's for subscribers. And for those who are listening who maybe want to expand a little bit, I know it's a basketball podcast, but remember we have all of our guides up there. That includes the NHL guide, which is out now, and uh, it'll include college basketball when we get around to that. That's only a month away, dude. Like, this time of year is absolutely wild. So, vcin.com slash subscribe. With that, let's dive into the Western Conference because when we look at the Western Conference overall, um, this thing's wild, dude. Uh, we, of course, have, at some spots, the favorite two in it all in the Golden State Warriors and the defending champs. We have teams which have wildly improved from the offseason, mainly due to better health. That would be the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Clippers. We have teams who, and actually you throw Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans in there because Zion Williamson's health is key to what they want to do. And you also have these teams on the fringes that really want to get into postseason contention. That would be squads like the Sacramento Kings and the Portland Trailblazers. So I know that when we talked about the Eastern Conference, one of the things I did was separate these teams into tiers. But I would say it is somewhat harder to separate these teams into tiers in the Western Conference because they are so tight together when it comes to the projections. But we're going to do our best. And what I'm going to separate these into, we'll call them the, the true contenders or the elites in the Western Conference. And much like in the Eastern Conference, uh, it is a small group. And I think the third team that I include in here would surprise some people when it comes to the Western Conference. But our contenders, I would say, in the West overall would include the reigning champion, the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Clippers, who I rate as the best team in the NBA, and the Denver Nuggets. And we'll get to the rest of those, of course, as we move along. But those three are the three I want to open up the podcast with and focus on. And namely, I want to start with the Los Angeles Clippers. And for those who know, uh, we'll get that out of the way for those who don't. I'm a Los Angeles Clippers fan, grew up a Clippers fan. Uh, so it might seem a little uh, a little biased in terms of my evaluation of LA. But in talking to a lot of sharp NBA handicappers, there are a lot who echo my sentiments. I, I do know of one better who every time the Los Angeles Clippers get to 8-1 to, to win the NBA Finals in any shop, 
he will go out and bet them at that price of eight to one. I would agree with that buy price, which by the way, best buy price right now in the market that I could find. Circus Sports has plus seven fifty, right near that eight to one range on the Clippers to win the entire thing. But I think when you look at the Los Angeles Clippers, it is hard not to deem them the best team in the NBA because they are the deepest team in the NBA. And I know a lot is made of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and it should be. But I think any evaluation of L.A. has to start with how deep this team could potentially be. And a lot of people in the offseason, and I think a lot of pundits, focus on the addition of John Wall. And John Wall is a fine addition. And he's a fine addition for a team that has been in desperate need of a north-south facilitating point guard that can get to the rim, that can get to the free throw line, that can have a high assist rate, and that could really work with a lot of these guys that generate a lot of stuff off ball, namely Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Nicholas Batum. And I think a guy like John Wall, if he hits, can hit very well. But for right now, we'll focus on him as part of this bench. But really, the depth, I think, starts with a true six-man-of-the-year candidate, Norm Powell, awesome catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, 45.4% on his catch-and-shoot three-point attempts from last season from beyond the arc. He's always been an efficient scorer, a rock-solid defender. The same thing can be said for Robert Covington, switchable, which is one of the big things for the Los Angeles Clippers, right? A team that is just loaded with these six-six, six-foot-seven, six-foot-eight bodies that can switch multiple positions, defend multiple positions. It's ingrained in their defensive DNA. A guy like Covington fits perfectly. And last season, how about this? Robert Covington, in 25 games for the Clippers, improved their net rating by 15.4 points per 100 possessions. He also shot 37.5% on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. So again, talking about a versatile wing piece who can defend multiple positions and can shoot the ball extremely well and was a massive positive for them over a somewhat decent sample size. When you're talking about 25 games for LA a season ago, you still have Marcus Morris there. And as we talked about, we have John Wall. That would probably form the core of this depth, but it goes beyond that. Terrence Mann, who, if those remember that game six against the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference semifinals a couple of years ago, has developed into an incredible young piece for them. Is again, this long, efficient guy, a wing that they can switch on to multiple dudes and play defense and can handle the ball a little bit. Luke Kennard and Amir Coffey. Uh, Kennard, of course, coming over in a deal a couple of years ago, acquiring him. He's a solid shooter. He hasn't been the big role player that they expected. But still, if we're talking about him being like the 10th-ish guy, when we're talking about coming off of the bench, that makes this team, again, the key word, depth, very deep. And Amir Coffey, as I mentioned, you really, I think, when you evaluate the Clippers from top to bottom, their roster is the most complete roster outside of backup center in the NBA. And then you get to the top. And this is where you think you'll like them the most. Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Nicholas Batum, your projected starting five uh, lineup with Avicii Zubac in there. But those starting four are really the highlight of that. And really, it's the trio of Jackson, George, and Leonard that check those boxes for you, too. How about these numbers? The 2020-2021 season, when Jackson, George, and Leonard were all on the floor together, the Clippers outscored opponents by 25 points per 100 possessions. Their offensive rating of 129.2, ranked in the 100th percentile of qualified lineups that season, and their defensive rating of 104.3 was in the 96th percentile. This group can be so effective, whether it's going to be the regular season, because that's when their depth will come into it, or whether it's the postseason, where we clearly saw, even in that Western Conference uh, first round before Kawhi Leonard got hurt against the Utah Jazz, they were down two games to the uh, uh, to the Dallas Mavericks. They go on to win that series. This team has the makings of a championship contender. And I think the being the best team in the NBA, if they can stay healthy, which is a question for them, as they've had a couple of guys on here deal with that, namely Leonard coming off of this ACL injury, never missed after missing an entire year. And Paul George, of course, has had his injury issues in the past. This projects to be, by my projections at least, and a couple of others that I've talked to, the best team in the NBA. So when you talk about attacking them from a win total standpoint, from a future standpoint, and I wrote about this in the guide, which is a very important piece, specifically when it comes to the futures of to win a title. If we're talking plus 750 or better, which is a very hard price to find at this point right now, again, Circus Sports has that plus 750. That is a price that I think is worth investing in at this point if we're talking before the season starts, if you want to get in on something for the Los Angeles Clippers. Some spots have plus 550 and like 6 to 1, 650. While I think they deserve to be the favorite, the Los Angeles Clippers, that is not a price that's worth investing in in this early portion of the season. A plus 750 that a spot like Circa has, where they are behind a team like the Golden State Warriors or the Boston Celtics, that's where I would say there is some value in that price. But once you start to get past that, 
that's where you lose a little bit of your value. And from a win total standpoint as well, rightfully so, among the league leaders in terms of total win total, about 51 and a half, the lowest price out there on the market. I think one of the things, and we'll talk about some award candidates too coming up later in the week and expand on a lot of these, but this is where Ty Lue comes in as well. This team has depth. They're also extremely well coached. And Ty Lue gets a lot out of these teams. And from an in-game market or adjustment standpoint, he's among the best coaches in the NBA. On a night-to-night basis, they're going to be in a lot of these games. And even in the contests in which Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and others do not play because of load management or whatever it is, this is still going to be an extremely competitive team throughout the NBA season and thus worth looking at over their win total as well. Very pro Los Angeles Clippers. They are my pick to win the NBA Finals this season. I have thought that when they are healthy for the last couple of years that they were the best team in the NBA, has yet to come to fruition. But I think there are all the pieces that are put together here for the Clippers this year for this to finally happen. So two kind of looking at the title contenders in the Western Conference, Clippers at the top, and it's hard to ignore what the Golden State Warriors bring to the table as well. And they're also a team that brings a lot of intrigue from a depth standpoint. But for them, and I think this is the key difference between the Golden State Warriors and a team like the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers' depth is tested, right? It is a bunch of guys, an NBA veterans, who we have multiple years of sample size and data and numbers to point to that says, we know what these guys are when they are on the floor. For the Golden State Warriors, when you look at their depth, the question is, what are the guys that they have going to become? Because while their depth, they do have some guys that are proven commodities, right? They bring in Dante DiVincenzo that I think works really well with what they want to do. Uh, If you go back his 2019-2020 season, he averaged 1.12 points per shot attempt, a 54.2% effective field goal percentage. It was a career year. He's a capable shooter, 37.1%. And that was uh, last season with Sacramento. And he's an underrated perimeter defender, but he's been kind of inconsistent in his time in the NBA. Uh, We know that Jermichael Green, who they brought in in the offseason as well, the floor spacing big, who can fill the role of the Manu Bielitsa, who leaves in the offseason. But the questions are, what is Jonathan Kaminga over a larger sample size, more minutes per game and more games? What is Moses Moody over more minutes and more more games over the course of a regular season? Because remember, Otto Porter Jr. is not with the Golden State Warriors anymore. Gary Payton II is not with the Golden State Warriors anymore. Those are two very key guys, as well as others. Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Lee, I mentioned Bielitsa. These are all dudes who played really key minutes for them, especially when guys like Curry or Draymond or before Clay Thompson was back from health, they filled those minutes for Steve Kerr. Now you're asking younger dudes, along with a really good elite six-man-of-the-year candidate in Jordan Poole, to pick up that slack. And I think when you look at the difference between a team like the Los Angeles Clippers and the Golden State Warriors, And if you're splitting hairs as to what would make that difference, it's that. It's the fact that two of your bigger bench pieces in Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, they project to be certain things, but we don't know if they are going to be those certain things. I'm a big Jonathan Kaminga fan. The athleticism comes off of the, it comes off of the screen. I got to watch him live in summer league this past summer. He is absolutely incredible, even more incredible in person. He has the ability to rebound. He's got the ability to run the transition. He can do everything athletically that you want him to do. And if he contains his three-point shot, he's going to be absolutely fantastic. But again, you're asking, you're wondering what those are going to be. And I think that makes the difference between a team like the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. And as well, and this is the thing with the Clippers, or excuse me, the, uh, the Warriors. They could be better this year from a record standpoint because remember last season, and this was this is the thing that I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, the projected starting lineup that we have in the guide and that I think is going to be their starting five. Uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney. With those five guys on the floor, Warriors outscored their opponents by 17.1 points per 100 possessions in the postseason. However, they did not play a single possession together in the regular season. So what expects to be their predominant starting five this year and probably their best lineup outside of, you know, switch out Looney for whatever you want to do with this small ball stuff and, you know, throw pool in there, whatever it is. But they're going to be better this year because their best lineup is not going to be available to them in the regular season. So there are things to like about the Warriors. But when you're splitting the difference between a team like the Warriors and a team like the Clippers, for me, I think it is it is very clear that you want to make that difference in their depth. And as you move forward to look at these two, I think the Clippers, if there is somebody who is going to be able to match up the small ball lineups that the Warriors want to throw out there, if there's somebody that can run up and down the floor and defend 
at a high level against the Golden State Warriors. It's a Los Angeles Clippers team that is switchable, has a whole bunch of big bodies at six foot six and six foot seven, and they can do all of those things on top of scoring with efficiency in their own right. And I think that's why, for me, I think the Clippers are the best team in the Western Conference, and I think those two are uh, elite title contenders. And I should be fair as we talk about the three contenders that I have in the Western Conference. I maybe should put Denver in its own little nexus between these two and then the teams that we're going to talk about coming up. But what Denver projects to be from a point standpoint, from a number standpoint, looks too incredible to kind of put them in with the other teams around them. Because what Denver can potentially be, now that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are back, now that they have added to their core, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Ish Smith, we're not going to include DeAndre Jordan in that conversation. Uh, This could be an incredible team, I think, from a regular season standpoint, and remember, we, we tend to forget this, and I, I never really understood this when it came to the discourse around Nikola Jokic, when a lot of people were like, ah, he's not performing really well in the postseason. He made it to a Western Conference Finals two years ago when they were in the bubble, and they ended up losing to the Los Angeles Lakers. This team has been tested when it comes to winning in the postseason. Jamal Murray is an incredible basketball player, and he and Nikola Jokic have the best two-man game in the NBA. Two seasons ago, when you have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic on the floor together. Denver's offensive rating, 124.9. They outscored opponents by 11.8 points per 100 possessions. When Murray and Jokic shared the floor with that primary lineup of Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, net rating, plus 17. And their offensive rating, 127 per 100 possessions. Uh, and look, is it is it really smart to come out and say, hey, Jamal Murray missed an entire year as a Michael Porter Jr. They're going to bounce right back to putting out those efficiency numbers. No, probably not. But that's where the additions in terms of depth come in. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 42% on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts last season. He is a solid on-ball defender that they can use in those lineups. If Michael Porter Jr. is healthy, that's fine. He's a 46.5% catch-and-three-point shooter in his last full season. So those are two knockdown guys that fit perfectly in that lineup. And a guy like KCP fits in nicely, especially in those games where Jamal Murray is likely going to miss. Michael Porter Jr. is likely going to miss. And then you talk about the rest of the depth that this team has. When we talk about the addition of Bruce Brown, who's a wonderful fit, I think, next to a guy like Nikola Jokic. Brown's super smart. He's a cutter. He's a rebounder. He fills his role extremely well. He's going to fit really well next to Jokic in those regards when he's got the ball at the high post or on the elbow and he's looking around to facilitate her from the post. And remember, too, that they have a young kid who has developed really nicely and who I think is a legitimate six-man-of-the-year candidate in Nishan Bones Highland. Uh, Highland. Highland was incredible his rookie season. 10.1 points per game, 1.0, uh, 1.108 points per shot attempt, And if you look at his per 36 numbers, it is wild what jumps off the page, 19 points, five and five. And if his numbers start to increase, which they're going to this year, and you read anything coming out of Denver, and I talked to a couple of people out in Denver, he's going to have a really big role for this team. And he seems to be in better favor, if you speak to people who who cover the Nuggets, than when Michael Porter Jr. is uh, with one Michael Malone. Bones Highland is going to be a fantastic guard off of the bench for them. So now we have a team that last year, was one of the worst teams in the NBA when Nikola Jokic left the floor. Now, all of a sudden, has two starters back, has legitimate depth added to this core, has an ascending young piece in one Bones Highland. There is everything that you like, I think, about the Denver Nuggets that they're going to be able to do a lot of damage in the regular season. This team was already really solid last year just with Jokic on the floor. Now, with better depth, I think when you look at them, and the low in their win total was 49 and a half, At the very least, the Denver Nuggets have high win total team written all over them. There are a lot of teams that I think are built for the regular season, and the Denver Nuggets are one of them when you look at the way that they're built right now. So I think when you evaluate the Western Conference, for me at least, it is hard to not start with those three. And then you get to the rest of these teams. And again, this isn't to disparage these teams, but I do think that there is a gap between what we're talking about with the three best teams as I rate in the Western Conference, and then some of these others. We'll talk about this this next tier, I guess we'll call them, in Minnesota, Memphis, Dallas, and we'll throw New Orleans in there as well because the the, the Pelicans have turned out to be, I think, a pretty sexy offseason team and a team for, if you guys remember from content from last year, 
Uh, that was one of the teams that we had in the middle of the season to play to make the postseason because of that shift that they made in their lineup. But, but let's start with what I think is going to be an incredible regular season team as well, uh, which is the Minnesota Timberwolves. So anybody who has kind of followed along at VSIN, any of the on-air hits, anything like that, uh, the Timberwolves last year were a team that were kind of the apple in my eye. Uh, you saw some really good um, numbers at the end of the season prior to that that show that there was some growth coming for the Minnesota Timberwolves, especially with a full year of Chris Finch as their head coach. And they did take that step. Before the season started, they were about 8-1 to one to make it to the playoffs. They make it to the playoffs after winning in the play-in tournament. Uh, they push the Memphis Grizzlies in a series in which they blew multiple double – obviously, I think there was 18-point leads uh, in that series that they blew in position to win that. Now, they had Rudy Gobert in a deal that, if you really evaluate it, obviously it was a lot of draft capital, but we're a betting podcast. We don't really care about the future. We care about now. Um a first-round rookie who, of course, they drafted this past offseason who didn't play for them, of course, so that he gets shipped off, not a loss from last year's roster. Leap Beasley and Patrick Beverly. If you're essentially giving up, again, as you just talked about this year, Leap Beasley and Patrick Beverly to bring in a guy in Rudy Gobert who's going to make your team a top-10 defense just because he's playing for you and who allows Carl Anthony Towns to shift into a role offensively and defensively that is going to maximize him as a player – and on top of that, you still add depth to your team in bringing in guys like Carl An- uh, Kyle Anderson, Austin Rivers, and then on the tail end of that depth, Bryn Forbes, Eric Pascal. This had, dude, this Minnesota team, I was, this was off on the market. I bet them over 48 and a half. I made their win total over 51. And I, I'm really high on Minnesota. Again, I can't stress enough as a regular season team. And I'll get to their weaknesses potentially as we move forward. But when I say that they're going to be, and I think Tim Bontemps at ESPN put this really well, a better version of the Utah Jazz, I think it's a really good way to put it. And it's not just because they now have Rudy Gobert. But look at what this team could potentially be overall. Remember last year that they were actually competent defensively. 13th in non-garbage time defensive efficiency, second in forced turnover rate, 16.2%. And now you add Rudy Gobert here on the floor. Carl Anthony Towns gets to move more off ball in some of these defenses. So he's not at the point of attack anymore when it comes to pick and roll actions. He's not going to be involved there. Obviously, he'll be involved in a couple, but he's not going to be the predominant center. And now you can move Carl Anthony Towns defensively into a role like Robert Williams, where you're going to put him off ball, probably on the worst offensive player, and you're going to allow him to help off of that guy crash the glass, grab rebounds, contest shots. It's going to work tremendously when you have Rudy Gobert right at the point of attack of a pick and roll and you have Carl Anthony Towns coming in to help defend. It is going to, I think, help out quite a bit uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves from a defensive efficiency standpoint. And this was already a team that somehow finished 13th in non-garbage time defensive efficiency a season ago. And on the offensive end, Gobert, they want to give him his touches, but those touches, those touches are going to come in the verbs uh, in, in the in the uh, the ways of lob passes for him. He's a lob threat. They're going to use him in that role way more than the Utah Jazz did. They're not going to use him in true post up situations. And Carl Anthony Towns now becomes a floor spacer who can shoot forty one percent on four point nine three point attempts per game last season. You expect that he's going to take way more than five three point attempts now per game as we move forward. This team finished seventh in offensive efficiency in non-garbage time minutes last season, and there's no reason to believe that they can't finish in that range again. And then you look at that depth. Kyle Anderson comes over from Memphis. He was incredible, and we'll talk about him a little bit more too when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies standpoint of it. He was a big reason why the Grizzlies were able to win all those games without John Morant. He is one of the better uh, on-ball defenders that you're going to get out there, at least in terms of the free agency market. He's awesome in terms of his uh, basketball IQ smart decision maker as well you get austin rivers who is very underrated as an on-ball defender in his own right can shoot as well gives them that little bit kind of like a really poor man's patrick beverly sort of sense can play off ball doesn't need in his hands quite a bit and then you still have some of the other guys from a bench that finished eighth in scoring last season we're talking about nas reed Jaden mcdaniels this team has every piece it needs if it wants to become a really elite regular season team now there's still some obvious weaknesses here. And when you talk about getting to a postseason series with a team like the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, I would very much 
favor both of those teams in a playoff series. I think you still have questions about those teams that can play five out against a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves and put Rudy Gobert in situations that aren't going to make him comfortable, forcing him to guard more on the perimeter and exploiting some of the poorer on-ball defenders in ISO situations like D'Angelo Russell, like Carl Anthony Towns. That's still going to be a problem for the Minnesota Timberwolves as they move into the, uh, the postseason. With the regular season, it's a different animal. And when you're talking about winning a lot of games, you just got to have a team that wants to win those games and a team that's built for it. And I think that's exactly what the Minnesota Timberwolves are. So from a win total standpoint, I know I've talked about like overs for the three teams that we have discussed for this first three. But from an actual bet standpoint, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, one of my uh, highest, I would say, are the biggest edges I have from a win total standpoint from the numbers that I made to the number that I bet of 48 and a half. Uh, the other, and this is more of an edge in terms of the market because of the market consensus is a little off from the number that I got and still is available at Circa, by the way. Let's talk about Memphis really quickly because I think what is lost in the market evaluation of the Memphis Grizzlies is what they have lost in the offseason. The Memphis Grizzlies are still going to be really good. And this is also coming from somebody that took his shot multiple times through stretches of the regular season to bet against Memphis because I thought they were a little overvalued and they continued to answer the call from an ATS standpoint. But when I say I don't think the market has evaluated well enough what they're losing, look at what they have lost in this offseason. We have, of course, Kyle Anderson, who's not going to be there. Uh, we have DeAnthony Melton, a 10-point-per-game scorer off of the bench who is now with the Philadelphia 76ers. And do not forget that Jaron Jackson Jr., at the end of June, it was announced that it was set to miss four to six months recovering from a procedure on his right foot. Jackson, as we know, 27.3 minutes per, uh, yeah, per, uh, minutes per game last season. When he was out on the floor, the Grizzlies' defensive rating improved by 4.8 points per 100 possessions. And you can very much point to these numbers when you look at a Memphis team that went 20-5 and five without John Morant in the regular season. The Grizzlies were plus 7.8 in terms of their net rating without Morant on the floor. Why? Because Jackson and Anderson were on the floor for a vast majority of those minutes. If you go to cleaning the glass and you remove, in those non-Morant minutes, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson, their net rating goes from 7.8, plus 7.8, to negative 5.9. And yet here we are in this market saying, oh, you know what? Jaron Jackson Jr., he might miss up to six months. That's fine. Kyle Anderson, he's not on the team anymore. That's fine. DeAnthony Melton, one of their primary bench guards who averaged 10 points per game, not on the team anymore. That's fine. We're going to set the win total, and this is what Circa did set the win total at, at 51. That's really high, and that's really high for a team that is missing three integral pieces to what they were doing a season ago. And so attacking it from that standpoint, and since Circa's come off 51, but they're still at 50 and a half, a number that I still deem playable at under uh, when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies, I think this team is a lot more flawed than the market wants to let on. They're really good, and John Morant is a dynamic player on offense, but is still very, very much a weak point on defense that now, at least at the beginning of the season, is not going to have three defenders as part of his rotation to back him up. One of those is going to come back at some point. But even if Jaron Jackson Jr. or when he comes back, I shouldn't say if, we're talking about a slow ramp up. I just think when you're evaluating Memphis from the standpoint of a win total and evaluating them from investing in that to go over, especially at the market of 50 or the number of 51 in the market that was there, to, to say that they're going to win 52, 53 games, given everything they're missing from a season ago, I would think that is really, really, um, really tough for this team to achieve. And look at some of these other numbers, too. This is what, what I kind, of, kind of worries you about Memphis. Xavier Tillman, for example, is going to have a bigger role for them. 13.2 uh, minutes per game last year. In his time on the floor, Grizzlies' offensive rating got worse by 7.7 .7 points per 100 possessions. Zaire Williams. Really intriguing aspects of his game. Reality, though, when he was on the floor, Memphis net rating got worse by 2.3 points per 100 possessions, and he averaged 21.7 minutes per game for them last season. Probably going to see a bump in his minutes. The guy that I think is a really big positive for them is John Conchar. But outside of that, there are some guys who statistically were negatives for them that are going to play bigger roles because the guys that were massive positives for them are gone. And that's what ultimately leads me to, I think, a very fair assessment, assessment of looking at a high win total of 51 and betting that under for the Memphis Grizzlies. And then you tie in everything we're talking about here with these Western Conference teams, how so many of them are going to be a little bit better this year. I think it's a really sound strategy to bet under 51 or bet under 50 and a half on Memphis, which is still out there at this point. So let's go to the other teams that we're talking about here in this tier. 
Dallas and New Orleans are in there. And I think I want to start with Dallas because Dallas is kind of along the same line with Memphis in that we had two teams that overachieved, right? It was Memphis who really overachieved in terms of their win total and the games without John Morant. And it was Dallas who overachieved in the run of the postseason, making it to the Western Conference Finals and ultimately uh, falling uh, in that regard to the Golden State Warriors. But when you look at Dallas, and this is why I kind of tie these two teams together, Dallas got worse in the offseason. Jalen Brunson is now part of the New York Knicks. And the response to the loss of Jalen Brunson was to add JaVale McGee and Christian Wood. And to go back, for those who don't know, obviously I came, I'm out here at, UNO, at uh, Las Vegas. I'm a UNLV guy. I enjoy UNLV basketball. Christian Wood, for those who don't know, is a former UNLV Rebel uh, who had a very sordid past with the team, but I thought he was incredible in his time out here and was one of the integral pieces to the Rebels that year. I think it was his second year, beating then number three Arizona at the Thomas and Mack. Love Christian Wood. Okay, a little brief Christian Wood history for you. Um, but adding him and JaVale McGee, when you lose a primary ball handler and do nothing, in terms of adding guards to your backcourt, that's going to be a problem for the Dallas Mavericks. Because while Luka Doncic is incredible, and you like Spencer Dinwiddie as a guard, he only started seven of the 23 games he played for Dallas last season. He's going to be part of the starting lineup now. Look at the guard rotation behind Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie. You're talking about Frank Nilakina. That's far from ideal. Uh, a rookie they have in Jaden Hardy, who has impressed so far up to this point, but still it's Jaden Hardy. Excuse me, Jaden Hardy. It's still a rookie who's going to be taking up a lot of minutes, or you're expecting to play a very big role for you, there's not a lot of elite ball handling. There's not a lot of point guard depth. And that, I think, is the worry for the Dallas Mavericks. And there's a lot of, I think, signs that point to a team that could project to finish a little bit worse in defensive efficiency than they did last year. Remember, they finished eighth in non-garbage time defensive efficiency, 110.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. And if you looked at their location-effective field goal percentage, which essentially measured the quality of shots that they gave up, probably should have been more average defensively last season as opposed to a top-10 unit. So if that regresses, and Luka Doncic is good, he's his usual self, but the rest of this guard depth doesn't really play out, and Christian Wood, who's kind of a defensive liability, drags them down a little bit more on that end of the floor, then you're talking about making up the minutes of Jalen Brunson with JaVale McGee, who is promised a starting job, it sounds like. I just don't really understand what the strategy was for the Dallas Mavericks. But you have this preseason expectation that this was a Western Conference finalist that has the favor to win the MVP in Luka Doncic, and those things come together to create a very overvalued win total, in my mind, of 49. So that, among some of the win total bets that I have made, under 49 in the Dallas Mavericks, given what they have lost, and the market, again, much like Memphis, not accounting enough for how much they lost in the offseason and building more on the expectations that these are going to be the teams that we saw a season ago. Now, as far as New Orleans goes, look, I, I will say this flat out right now. For the NBA guide, uh, I did, you for the win total recommendation, I do every single one of them, a win total recommendation for the win total. Uh, duh. Um, I went under 44 and a half for the New Orleans Pelicans because I do think the market is a shade high on this team, but it is so hard to deny the potential that the Pelicans bring to the table on offense when you look at everything they bring back. For those who don't know, C.J. McCollum turned out to be their starting point guard a season uh, last season. After they acquired him, it was actually Devontae Graham that they started at point guard. But about three, four games into McCollum's tenure, uh, Willie Green decided, you know what, let's put you at point guard. Let's see what that does. Let's move Devontae to the bench. And it opened everything up for them. If you look at the numbers last season, C.J. McCollum at point guard, New Orleans averaged 120.7 points per 100 possessions. When he was at point and Brandon Ingram was on the floor, they outscored opponents by nine points every 100 possessions while posting a 122.3 offensive rating. And those lineups were efficient in every facet. We're talking about offensive rating of 142.1 in transition, uh, a offensive rating of 102.1 in half-court settings, an effective field goal percentage of 57.4%. We can go on and on and on. And that was with Jackson Hayes at power forward. Now enter, we'll call skinny Zion Williamson uh, because he does look pretty incredible. This is going to change everything. Williamson is a force within four feet. 82.2% uh, of his attempts as a pro have come within four feet of the basket. He fits well next to jump shooters, I think, like McCollum and Ingram. He's not going to crowd the paint with Jonas Valanciunas. And with Herbert Jones out there as a 3 and D specialist, namely as a D specialist, they have their on-ball guy. There is a lot to like about what the Pelicans are going to be at the top. And the bench is a plus two. 
Jose Alvarado, Grand Theft Alvarado, as we call him now, in uh, basketball circles and up on NBA Twitter. Uh, absolutely fantastic in terms of being a pesky on-ball defender. He has shown some scoring capabilities in the preseason. As I mentioned, Devontae Graham, having him as a reserve guard is solid. A scorer who has the ability to knock down some three-point shots, although three-point shooting last season dipped 34.1%. So you do wonder uh, how that's going to change things. And then you get a kid like Trey Murphy, strong rookie campaign. He shot 38.2% on three-point uh, three attempts per game. That is going to be something that they like. And you still have guys like Larry Nance Jr. and Jackson Hayes who are awesome pieces in depth in terms of the front court. But if you look at all these pieces I'm talking about, your best defenders right now are going to be Jose Alvarado, Herbert Jones, and Devontae Graham maybe. And Ingram has shown some improvements. But I think that's where I kind of get a little nervous when it comes to what the ceiling is for the New Orleans Pelicans. A lot of people project them to be potentially a top four seed in the Western Conference. That little bit of defensive inefficiency leaves me a little bit of pause. I think they should safely be inside of the top six. I think they should be the sixth best team in the NBA and avoid, uh, excuse me, in the Western Conference and avoid the play in. But those shortcomings defensively, I, like when I wrote about it in the guide, I was like, I put under 45, 44 and a half because they're, they're rated as high as they possibly can be with this team. But with those shortcomings, I think ultimately causes them to fall short and finish around those 44 wins. We should also know, too, that we don't know what the load management situation is going to be like for Zion Williamson as we enter a season because we haven't seen him for such a long time. And that is going to be a very big factor for Williamson and the Pelicans as we get to the regular season. So I love everything on paper for the New Orleans Pelicans. And I understand, like, it's not something I would hardly like, like fight hard against if you're going to tell me you're betting over 44 and a half. But shop around. When you have like a minus 165 to make the postseason as opposed to a minus 140 or 135 uh, that Matt Brown mentioned to me when we were on um, earlier today, VEASAN primetime when I filled in for Stormy, like those are the kind of things that I think you want to look at. You want to shop around a lot because the prices, like, and they always matter for everything, but the percentage points and the prices that you're going to be laying for the Pelicans or the wins, if you can find better win totals, that's the one. But the best win total I could find for those who want to attack the under is at 44 and a half. And I think you can kind of see why I lump those teams together when you talk about the Western Conference and some of these, we'll call them faux contenders that are kind of stuck up there uh, in the process. And then we have a team like the Lakers. I'm not going to bury the Lakers. Don't worry. But uh, just, I, I put my foot, my fist down. All right. We're an NBA betting podcast. I'm not going to roll with the high narratives. Uh, the Lakers, we can talk about them here. We're not going to lead any podcast with them. Uh, also, I'm a Clippers guy. So of course, I'm going to bury the Lakers. Uh, but let's talk about this team because this is kind of I don't want to call them the sleeping giant, uh, but this is the team that could alter some things when it comes to the grand scheme of the Western Conference if everything hits perfectly for them, and that is the important part. Uh, the Lakers with Darvin Ham, of course, coming in. This is the thing, though, and this is what I wrote about in our NBA guide. If you are going to start Russell Westbrook, like they have said, then write the Lakers off. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but... If you're going to start Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Thomas Bryant as your predominant starting five, that's a five that works. That's a five whose dudes' games all fit really well together. Patrick Beverly is not a ball-dominant point guard. He does not need to be that. He fits more off-ball. He is a relatively decent catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. 37.8% uh, overall as a three-point shooter at 38.5% last year in catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. That's perfect next to LeBron James. The same could be said for Kendrick Nunn. And, of course, Thomas Bryant is a true center who can space the floor a little bit, works really well. And if you do that, Russell Westbrook then comes off of your bench. You can stagger that a little bit, but you can also give him time to run with some depth that actually has some athleticism and some intrigue if you're putting them next to a faster lineup or putting them in a faster lineup with Russell Westbrook at the helm. When you're talking about Troy Brown, a insanely athletic kid, solid rebounder, 84th percentile at his position of both offensive and defensive rebounding rate the first three seasons. Never really been a great defender, but as a rim threat and in transition, really kind of works. Juan Toscano Anderson, who showed some promise in the 2020-2021 season, but kind of dropped off after that. Austin Reeves, who has some real upside. Average 7.3 points, 3.2 rebounds per game on an efficient 1.228 points per shot attempt and who improved the Lakers' net rating by 7.2 points per 100 possessions. Put him out there with Russell Westbrook. You can tweak these lineups to give Westbrook the weapons he needs around him to flourish. But if you're going to fit this square peg in a round hole with Westbrook, Davis, and LeBron, 
who when those three were on the floor together, the Lakers got outscored by three points per 100 possessions. And their most used lineup with that trio had a negative 11.3 net rating. It's just not going to work. And that's where I kind of draw the line here with the Lakers. They should be better this year. They were 33 and 49. There are a lot of indicators that they should be better. And if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are going to play more games, they both played fewer than 60 games last season. This team is going to be better. But when we're talking about a market high of 45 and a half wins and the constant message so far in the offseason that Russell Westbrook is still a starter, I do not trust laying a small price, even if it's minus 110, to go over 45 and a half or 44 and a half wins for this team. Do you want to attack it from a playoff market standpoint? That's fine. But given what we know about the, the Lakers, and even then, by the way, I should note, even if they bench Russell Westbrook, roll with their primary, their, their most pristine lineups that get the most out of their team, this is still a team that is barely floating around that 45-win range and still are clear underdogs in a series to the likes of the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, I would say the Memphis Grizzlies, I would say the New Orleans Pelicans. That's the problem even with the Lakers. Even if they maximize their roster, I still slug them as a play-in team in the Western Conference, which has gotten way deeper at this point right now. And it's hard to really look past that for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, at this point of the podcast, you're probably wondering, well, wait a minute. We've talked about all these teams in the Western Conference. You're really going to ignore the team that went 64-18 and 18 last season and made it to the NBA Finals the season before that? No, we're not going to forget about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Suns are very much a worth the team we're talking about. But the reason why I saved them for this point is I don't know what to do with the Phoenix Suns. And there are a couple of teams, and I think I discussed this in the Eastern Conference podcast, where when I evaluate them, it is somewhat hard because their weaknesses are, I think, very much going to be exposed in the postseason. Uh, but as you kind of move forward, like that's kind of going to be the thing is do those weaknesses start to transpire on the court? And also the Suns have this weird vibe going around them where you have a guy like DeAndre Ayton who got into it at the end of the postseason with uh, with uh, Monty Williams. And then, of course, um, they come back in their first media availability. They're like, no, we haven't talked since then. You have Jay Crowder, who's forcing his way out, it seems, and he's going to be on the move. So their depth takes a little bit of a hit here. The Suns are a weird team because they have the makings of a squad that could win a lot of games, and their depth got a little bit better this year. But at the same time, there's some clear and obvious weaknesses with this team that more get exposed in the postseason. And so that's why I really don't know what to do with this squad. So like for a couple of reasons, for example, uh, current projected starting group, five of a uh, plus 8.1 net rating when on the floor together, average 118.3 points per 100 possessions, 110.2 defensive rating. They were great. But the problem is 49.2% of their attempts came from the mid-range area of the floor. And while they shot 50% on those attempts, you're not getting to the free throw line. They were 27th in offensive free throw rate. And they were, they were second to last in terms of frequency of shots within four feet of the basket. It's not a team that gets to the rim regularly. It's not a team that gets easy baskets at the free throw line. That's a clear and obvious weakness in the big picture. So if I throw all these things together, like I get it. They're when I have slugged a try-hard team, a team that is going to play very well in the regular season, and it wouldn't be very surprising to see them again push for like a top three seed in the Western Conference. But I also think that the Western Conference around them has caught them to the point where I think these weaknesses are now going to start to catch up with them. And guys like Jay Crowder, who are now going to be gone, you're going to feel those a little bit more. And they're priced to the moon for the most part. A lot of spots have 51.5 or 52.5. If you can find that 52.5, very much, I think, worth looking under for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, look, I think you're right now, the high I found was 53.5. That is something that is worth looking at under for Phoenix because of their depth getting a little worse with Jay Crowder departing, with the Western Conference getting a little bit better, and some of the noise around them that I'm not entirely sure uh, what to do with at this point. But overall, would feel relatively comfortable looking at them under their win total. But they're on their own weird little nexus. They're a weird kind of team. So I think, you know, from a Western Conference standpoint at this point of the episode, uh, we very much covered a lot of the better teams. But there are some weird teams on the fringes uh, that we have to talk about. And that would be really the Sacramento Kings and the Portland Trailblazers. Because those are two teams that fancy themselves playing teams. And when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers, a team that's like oddly intriguing from what they're doing with their roster 
um, that I kind of really want to watch a lot of, but I don't know what to do with, right? Like, for example, you know, you have Damian Lillard obviously coming back here. Anthony Simons, an excellent two-guard to play next to Lillard. He's coming off a career year. He started 30 games, averaged 17.3 points, 3.9 assists per contest. 77% per minute, uh, 77% of um, Anthony Simons' minutes came at point. Uh, but when he was at shooting guard, Blazers averaged 116.5 points per 100 possessions. And now he's going to have Damian Lillard for a vast majority of those minutes. So that's really going to help. Nasir Little is a great young wing. Uh, wing. When he was out on the floor, their net rating improved by 11.5 points per 100 possessions. There are a lot of numbers to point to that there's a lot of good pieces here. You can say that you like Jeremy Grant. I'm not the biggest Jeremy Grant fan. I think he's been a high volume, low efficiency scorer in his time with the Pistons. Maybe he comes a little bit more of a better role player, kind of like his uh, season with the Denver Nuggets, but he finished in the 75th percentile or better in assist rate his position in a team oriented system. Maybe he can get a little bit better in terms of his uh, addition, what he does statistically for a team. And, and like Yusuf Nurkic, he's a, he's a fine player, but I don't know how impactful he is in today's NBA, especially with all of these teams going a little bit more wing and small ball oriented. Like there's a lot to like about this team. And then evaluate their bench. Gary Payton II comes over from Golden State. Awesome on ball defender who can hit the occasional corner three. Josh Hart was great in 13 games for Portland. Somewhat decent defender, can score, uh, and is a ball handler for them coming off of the bench. Trendon Watford, Drew Eubanks, got a lot of seasoning in the fire over the final 20 games or so, showed some promise, but again, that's just promise. And then we have the great unknown, which is Shaden Sharp, who I saw all of one basket of live at Summer League before he got hurt, and we don't really know much about and what he projects to be over the course of a season. There's a lot of things you can point to with Portland and go, they kind of like that. But what does that all do coming together over the course of a regular season? And I think at the end of the day, like, if you're telling me win total of 38 and a half, that's a low number over at Circus Sports. I, I would tend to kind of lean over the total if you were twisting my arm and asking me to make a selection. And if Lillard is especially going to be healthy, that is definitely an achievable thing when we're talking about like 39 wins for Portland. And it's a team that wants to do it. That's the important part. I just don't know in the grand scheme of the Western Conference, like where they're going to stack up and how much that's going to hold them back. Because these pieces, while they're intriguing, they're not great. And you can say the same thing for the Sacramento Kings, right? The Kings were one of those teams that in the offseason, for those who weren't paying attention to the markets, season opener for a win total was 32 and a half, but it got to 34 and a half. And frankly, I kind of don't get, I, I do get it, I should say, but I don't want to get in late on this because while the offensive numbers for the Kings can be freaking awesome. If you look at it, for example, short sample size last year, but Sabonis, 18.9 points, 12.3 rebounds, 5.8 assists per game as a king when he was on the floor with Fox, King uh, De'Aaron Fox. The Kings averaged 116.2 points per 100 possessions overall and 104.1 points per play in half-court settings. But, like, they're also not going to be a good defensive team at all. In those lineups with Fox and Sabonis on the floor, the Kings were outscored by 2.7 points per 100 possessions despite a 116.2 offensive rating. That's not good. Opponents shot... A wild 73.8% at the rim with Sabonis and Fox on the floor, average 118.9 per 100. That's not good. And you can look around and you could say, well, they got Davion Mitchell, who's a pretty solid on-ball defender. He improved their defensive rating by 4.3 points per 100 possessions. You got guys like Malik Monk who are going to be coming off the bench to help this out. A rookie in Keegan Murray who shows some promise who might slot in at the power forward. Harrison Barnes is a fine on-ball guy. But I think defensively, there's way too many shortcomings for this team to realistically buy into them as a playoff team, or really, especially since you missed the boat from 32 and a half to 34 and a half, to bet them over 34 and a half now that you're two wins over at this point right now. So for the guide, I went under. I think the Kings are going to be a lot of fun. And offensively, there are going to be some nights where you look up and they're going to have 135 points and it's going to be wild and they're going to be an over team like crazy. But realistically, if you missed out at this point right now, when we're talking about 34 and a half, 32 and a half, the ship has sailed, and I think it's worth it to look under as opposed to over. And then from there, you get the, the you know the the bottom tiered teams: Houston, Oklahoma City, the Utah Jazz, uh, the San Antonio Spurs. I think it's very clear that Utah and San Antonio want to tank and get out of here. The Rockets and Thunder are really intriguing, only because for Oklahoma City's sake, they were the second best ATS team in the NBA last year. They were a very well coached squad. There's a lot of intriguing talent here, but what is their mission? I have yet to see them kind of turn the corner in terms of wanting to win some of these games. And with a talent-laden draft coming up, 
I don't know why the Thunder at this point would change their stripes. And there's also rumors that Shea Gilders Alexander could be part of a trade deal at some point this season. The Houston Rockets are a really young team. They have a really a lot of young talent. We're going to talk about one of their youngsters as Rookie of the Year candidate, and it's not the one you're thinking of when we get to the awards in the next episode. But from Houston's standpoint, again, when we're talking about getting to the near the end of the year and you're floating around 20 wins, what's the motivation to keep winning when you could bench some guys, tank it out, and have a shot at a tran- like a transcendent talent to add to the cupboard of actually, I think, solid talent that you have in Jalen Green and T- Atari Eason and um, Jabari Smith Jr. and the other dudes and Kevin Porter Jr. that you already got on this roster, why not try to add to that group who's already still young and you can add a transcendent talent like him, Scoot Henderson, or one of the others that are going to be at the top of this draft. And we know the Jazz. The Jazz is very clear. The Jazz have done a decent job, at least, in stacking up some talent on this roster, but it's very clear what they want to do here at this point. They want to tank. They want to get assets. There is no question in my mind that the Utah Jazz will be in contention for the worst team in the NBA, same with San Antonio Spurs, because they want to stock up the talent and the cupboard that they have in terms of draft assets. Popovich is a wild card. He gets a lot out of his teams, so maybe he's going to you know, squeeze something out of San Antonio to go over their win total. But at that point, like for any of these teams that we're talking about, I, I just don't know how you realistically bet on them to go over their win totals when there is that wild card out there of Wamanyama and these other guys in this draft that seem to be kind of floating out there and, and be very, very valuable. Uh, so as far as the Western Conference is concerned, from a win total standpoint, uh, to go over some of the bets that I have made here um, when it comes to win totals in the West, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, under 51, still 50 and a half out there, I would say, uh, bettable still. Minnesota Timberwolves, over 48 and a half, widely available still, bet that over. Mavericks under 49, still available to bet that over. And we'll say there's a lot of Western Conference awards, guys, that are out there and worth it. We'll save that for our next episode. Kelly Bidlin's going to join us. We'll talk awards. We get his thoughts on his best win totals in a little bit more. But I want to stress one more time as we kind of reach the end here. VEASAN.com slash subscribe. I think our NBA guide was tremendous. I'm always selfish to that because I wrote 22,000 of those words. Uh, But very much want to push that to you. Become a VEASAN subscriber. And not just for the NBA guide, but for all the great content that we provide. Andy McNeil, buddy of mine, did a tremendous job on the NHL guide. And I know, because I'm part of it every single year, the college basketball guide that's going to be coming out in a month is going to be very much worth your time as well. So remember, NBA guide up there on vcin.com slash subscribe. Become a pro subscriber today. Get that and much more and everything we have to offer. And stick around here in the podcast feed. Like, rate, review, subscribe. we got episodes twice a week here on Hardwood Handicappers as we are back and the NBA season is back in a week.